Our passage today comes from the book of Psalms. Listen, shepherd of Israel who leads Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine on Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Rally your power and come to save us. Restore us, God. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Lord, God of armies, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. You put us at odds with our neighbors. Our enemies mock us. Restore us, God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we praise you for allowing us to have this space to gather in. Please be with all of those who are unable to be here today due to illness. We pray that they too will feel the hope that you give. Thank you for being the light of our lives. We know that you are the true source of hope, peace, joy, and love. Please give us ears to hear today your word. Lord, we know that you are the hope in life and death. Give us the courage to live lives that truly show that we have no fear in death because we know that we can trust in you, our Lord, and our hope is eternal. Please be with Pastor Jeff today as he shares your word and give us ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Teresa. How we doing? Oh, man, I've been back from Florida just about a week now, and my tan is is starting to go. Sorry. (laughs) It's so View. Great to be back. Honestly, you know how it is. You go somewhere for a little while, and then you come back, and it feels so good to walk in the door, doesn't it? Just come home, and it feels so good this morning to be here with you, uh, my church family, and uh, so, so great to be, be with you. We are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be talking about the story of David and Goliath and Saul and David's brothers. We're going to be talking about that story today. Back in the day, I was really into uh, drawing portraits. You know, when I was a teenager, I really got into this. And one day, I was sitting in art class in high school, and my art teacher came up to me, and she said, that is really good, Jeff. You know what would make that much better? Is if you learn how to use light and dark to shadow the picture. And she taught me how to do it. And then after that, I was a maniac. I mean, I was drawing all of the time, always drawing these portraits, and I learned how to do it. And when people would see them, they would be like, wow, because it just looked like the picture just popped off of the page. And, uh, and so I learned very early on that in order to get that sort of illusion of three-dimensionality, you have to balance light and dark. You have to have a good contrast on the paper. And today, in the story that we're going to be looking at, it is a story of nothing else but of contrasts. I mean, the author intends to contrast David's faith and David's character with Saul and the Israelites' fear. And there are so many contrasts in the story to mention. We have age and experience, a fresh-faced youth who has no battle experience at all other than some lions and bears, which sounds pretty important to me, with an older, cynical king and a battle-hardened giant. We have weapons and armor, uh, slings and stones and shepherd staffs contrasted with the heavy armor of conventional weaponry. 
We have the contrast of faith and trust in God. Faith is in contrast to fear. Humility is in contrast to hubris and arrogance and defying the Lord. We have a contrast of motivations. While no one seems particularly interested in the glory of God and the honor of God, there is a young man who seems very interested in that, defending his glory and his honor. And we also have a contrast of outcomes. David is victorious and God's enemies are defeated. And everyone knows that Saul is a washed-up king, a has-been beyond uh, that's past his time. And so our main idea today really is that David teaches us, this story of David teaches us that the trials we face reveal and refine our character. They reveal our character, the state of the art from our hearts, and they also can refine us. And in the process, they reveal how God has been at work, how God has been at work. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 11, the Philistines set up camp at Soko in Judah, facing the Israelites in the valley of Elah. And Goliath was a towering individual, a champion from Gath. We learn from the story, challenging the Israelite armies every single day. And he stood, according to the text, around nine feet tall, which is awfully tall, clad in bronze armor, the armor itself weighing about 125 pounds, with a spear and a shield-bearer. We pick it up in verse 8. It says, He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out and line up in battle formation? Because you don't want to fight. He asked them, Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. And I'll tell you what, if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. And then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and they were terrified. Now, as the story goes on, David is working both for his father as the shepherd of the sheep herd, right, of the sheep, and he's also working part-time for Saul. So he is going between Saul's tent as a musician, playing his harp to comfort Saul, and he's also going back to his father's house to serve his dad, by watching the sheep. And his dad sends him to the battle to say, hey, go take these provisions to your brothers, your brothers who are big and strong and they're soldiers in the army. And so David goes. Now, David, as he is going out to serve his brothers, hears this Philistine come out and curse his God. He hears this Philistine come out and defy the armies of Israel. And so he leaves his supplies and he runs to the battle line to hear this taunt. And then the news reaches the king and David is summoned to discuss the matter. So what David does is he overhears someone talking about saying that the king has said that if someone were to defeat this guy, he would be given some gifts, his daughter, tax exemption, some money. And so then David in the story starts asking around about this. Is that true? Will the king do that for someone who defeats this giant? Because he knows he has it in him. And his brothers get really annoyed. His brother says, why don't you shut up, you little pig squeak? You don't belong here anyway. 
You're just being arrogant. And then the news of this gets back to King Saul, and King Saul says, bring that young man before me, and it's David. And he comes before him. And, and here's what we read in verse 32. It says, David said to Saul, don't let anyone t- today be discouraged by him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since his youth, since he was young. Remember what God said to Samuel in the previous chapter. What God said to Samuel is, look, everybody is looking on the outside. Everybody is looking on the externalities, but I judge by the heart. I judge the man by the heart, and that's what Saul is doing also. He's saying, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, you're not experienced enough to fight this giant. Verse 34, David answered Saul, your servant has been tending uh, his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. And if it reared up against me, I would, I would grab its, by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will just be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, if you were to go there today, you would not see the land just covered in just uh, uh, wildlife. Like, you wouldn't see lots of lions and bears and wolves, but in this day, you would see them, especially around sheep. And, say, uh, and so, what David is trying to say is, listen, I have fought off lions, I have fought off bears, I have killed them, so don't mistake me for some spineless lightweight. I not only chased the predators away, but I put them down. And Saul said to David, go then, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David, and he put a bronze helmet on David's head. He just looked like a little bobblehead there, right? (laughs) Didn't even fit him. And, and, he, and he had him put on his armor. And David strapped his own sword or his sword uh, on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his little pouch uh, in his shepherd's bag. And then, with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistines. So, the conventional armaments do not fit David, and they don't seem to fit the moment either, and David knows this. We often think of David just sort of walking up on the Philistine with his sling, with the stone in the sling, just whirring above his head at 100 miles an hour, but the truth is he also brought his rod, his his shepherd's staff and rod. Uh, because those are the armaments of a shep- sheep herder. And so this whole thing just looks silly to Goliath. Notice Goliath's response, verse 41. It says, the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He must have been one big, ugly guy. It's like, I hate that handsome young guy. He said to David, am I a dog? that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and and the wild beasts. So what the author has captured for us is the absolute disdain of Goliath that Goliath has for this kid. You can hear it in his voice. 
He, he is, this is just absurd, the sight of this young boy coming out with sticks and a sling and stones in his pouch. And so he just thinks, this is crazy. Why is he coming against me? And then David also responds, if you notice in verse 45, it says, uh, David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies. We just read that in the psalm. It's the phrase, Yahweh Sebaiot. It is the God Almighty, the God of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. So today the Lord will hand you over to, to me. And today I'll strike you down and I'll remove your head from your shoulders and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. And then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And, has, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will hand you over to us. See, Saul and Israel's army, they think that they have a Goliath problem. Goliath thinks that he has no problem. And Goliath doesn't understand he has a God problem. And remember what we said so many times before, when you have a God problem, that's your only problem. You don't have a David problem. That's your problem. You find yourself set against the power of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh Sebaiot, the Lord of armies. And so David knows this. David knows that this guy's in trouble. Verse 48, when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone. He slung it and hit the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. And he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it out of its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled in terror. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the uh, Sharem road to Gath and Ekron. So growing up, I always kind of had this picture in my mind that he, he has killed this giant with the sling and the stone. But in reality, it just sort of knocked him out or it gave him severe brain damage. I just sort of imagined that stone just like a laser beam tunneling through that guy's forehead and that's it, it's over. And it, actually, the miracle is he got hit so hard and then he falls forward. And notice that also parallels Dagon. Remember the statue Dagon? That is the Philistine god. And remember in the story when they pulled the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon and set it next to Dagon, overnight the statue of Dagon fell before the Ark and lost his head. And now this symbol of their power has fallen before David, and he's lost his head. Notice that Goliath falls in the same way. And so the imagery is unmistakable. The one true God of heaven has defeated false gods of Philistia. And so the story ends with David. He has secured a place in the royal court. The shepherd will become a son-in-law of the king and the brother-in-law of the prince, Jonathan. This is when the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines. They plundered their camps. 
David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent, trophies. And when uh, Saul, uh, when Saul had seen David go out to confront the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, uh, whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty, as surely as you live, I do not know. Abner replied, the king said, find out whose son this man is because he owes his family now uh, an exemption from a lifelong exemption from taxes. And when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and the Philistine's head still in his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. And from this story, we learn this unmistakable principle. And the author means for us to see it. And that is that every single trial that we face, every battle that we find ourselves in, it reveals our character. It reveals our character, and it can also refine our character if we are willing to walk with the Lord. So the story reveals the character and the relative strength or weakness of each person involved in the story. Think of a thermometer. What, what does a thermometer do? It reveals the temperature, but it doesn't change it. A barometer reveals atmospheric pressure, but it doesn't create it. A seismometer measures ground vibrations, earthquakes, but does not cause those vibrations. A hygrometer, you know what that does? It reveals the humidity in the air, but it doesn't add or remove moisture from the air. A Geiger counter detects ionizing radiation, but doesn't emit radiation. A photometer reveals light intensity, but the instrument itself does not emit light. And a flux capacitor <laughs> is what makes time travel possible. I just wanted to see if you were still listening. Um, <laughs> just want to see if you were still there. The trial of Goliath just merely reveals that David is already the man that he needs to be in this moment. A man after God's own heart. He is already a man after God's own heart. He is already a man of, of faith and trust and devotion to his God and courage. Look at what it says. It says, David answered Saul in verse 36, Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me. Notice that. David knows from whom the victory comes. David knows that the victory doesn't come from him and his skill. He knows that God uses him as an instrument to get the victory. And he knows who to give, who to give credit to. And so David seems utterly flummoxed when this Philistine comes out to meet him. The Philistine, Goliath, is flabbergasted. He's just like, what? And that's David's response too. David's like, what? <laughs> you, all you brought was the biggest, baddest human being on the planet? That's all you brought? All you brought was the most sophisticated weaponry of our day? Son, come on. Surely you didn't think you were going to win today because you come to me with all of that stuff, and I come to you in the place representing in the name of the God of Israel. Friend, you can't win this context or this contest. And so David knows this. And so the text and the context reveals that David has already practiced walking with God and trusting in the Lord to give him the victory. He relies on the Lord. And the question this morning is, what is in you? What is in you? And how would you know? 
Uh, my wife loves, every Christmas, she gets out her collection of Christmas mugs. And we love them. We, they're fun for the season. Uh, some of them are just way too big for me. I would have to drink like a vat of coffee out of this thing. I can't even fill this thing up with coffee, but they're just fun to have for the season. Now, let's play a little game here. Let's suppose we're playing a little game. And the question is, guess the contents of the Christmas mug. And so you begin to guess. Well, surely you have eggnog in there. Oh, I wish I did. Now, maybe you brought hot apple cider or maybe hot chocolate. And you begin to sort of rattle off these, these Christmas holiday drinks. And I go, okay, you're wrong on all accounts. Would you like me to show you what's in the mug? You say yes. And then right over the kitchen island, I just begin to shake it. What's going to happen to it? All the contents in it are going to spill out of it. And that is what is going on here. What, what has happened? Two things. You judge the contents by its appearance, and you discovered its contents by the shaking of it, the shaking of the vessel. And that's what happens to everyone in this story, the people who by outward appearances look like they should be the battle-hardened, faith-filled warriors aren't. They don't have in them what they look like they should. And the one young man who looks like he shouldn't even be there he is a titan of trust and faith in the Lord. David has spent his days as a boy shepherd preparing for the big dance, courageously fighting lesser foes and walking with his God and trusting God to rescue him day after day. He's ready. And how do we know that what's really in us? How do we prepare for that day to find out? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 13, he says, For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the, in the day of evil. And having prepared everything to take your stand, he says, stand, stand. What day of evil is he talking about? He's talking about two days of evil. Okay, there are two. The first one is any day. It seems like the forces of hell have been unleashed on your life. Daily, we fight the battles against wallowing in our self-pity or our suffering, nursing our own wounds and resentments and gossip and lust and dishonesty. We fight against those things on a daily basis. But all of those routine skirmishes build our character in preparation for the day and the future where it seems like all the forces of the enemy are unleashed on us. And it seems as though we have entered an unusual season when it's all coming down. And everything seems to be hitting us all at once. And so we need to walk with God so that we can prepare ourselves for the day of evil. The day when evil is unleashed on our lives and those tests do come. But there's a second day that we need to prepare for. And the second one is a day in the future when the Antichrist figure will be revealed who will bring mass persecution on the people of God before the second coming of Christ. Now, I don't know how Paul could say this any clearer than 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I just don't know how he could say this clearer, and he wants the Thessalonians to know, listen, you need to be prepared for that day. He says in verse 1, he says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter. So those are the three ways in which someone is trying to, to get through to the Thessalonians. They're trying to deceive the Thessalonians. 
either, either by a prophecy or a message or a letter from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. What's the day of the Lord? He just told us in verse 1. It's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. That's the day of the Lord. And he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. What is he telling us here? There's coming a day in which there is going to be the kind of opposition to the church, to your existence as a Christian, and you need to be prepared for that day. So what is the day of the Lord? He's already told us in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. And what he tells us there is that uh, God is going to repay with affliction those who afflict you, Thessalonians, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well, to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer punishment, he says. The punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on the day, he will be glorified on earth. So, what is the day we need to prepare for? For that day. For that day when the entire culture has turned against you and basically called you evil. But you're not evil. You're the followers of Jesus Christ, the righteous sacrifice and king. And what is apostasy? He says here, he says, there's going to come an apostasy. Well, that word is the Greek word apostasia, and it means defiance of established system of authority, rebellion, abandonment, breach of faith. You need to see that there's a rebellion and there's a rebel. So the rebellion is led by a rebel. Who is the rebel? He is the man of lawlessness. This is probably referring to the Antichrist, probably referring to a future counterfeit of Christ, who will try to deceive the church into thinking that good is evil and evil is good, and the truth is wrong, and that which is wrong is the truth. And so this is coming, Paul says. And so we fight the routine skirmishes of the faith so that, like David, we might be ready for the big day when an unusual season of trial visits us. And it could be anything. It could be physical suffering. It could be disease. It could be your kids. It could be your job, losing your job. It could be people who are tempting you to walk away from God. Whenever that day comes, you and I, like David, we need to be prepared, and we also need to be prepared for when the culture turns against us. Think about it for a second. Today, we have entire Christian denominations who are apostatizing in their faith. They are turning away from the gospel Local churches leaving the faith, leaving the Word. Entire theological seminaries and divinity schools are denying the core tenets of the Christian faith. So these routine challenges forge in us a faith that we will need for major tests that, are, that often arise unexpectedly. You've heard the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? That's true. Usually how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you put that in the context of David... If you put that in David's context, how you face the little challenges, how you face the daily skirmishes and the battles for your soul, that's how you're going to face it when the day of evil comes. 
when the day of evil comes. And so the trial of Goliath doesn't make David. It doesn't. It only reveals who he already is. And it makes him much more the man that he already is. He is a man of unwavering devotion to his God, faith and courage as the avenger of his flocks. And now he stands before them as dangerous, formidable, foe in life that he could ever face militarily, a man who embodies all the powers of hell against the people of God. And David is ready. How about you? You ready? Will you be ready to take your stand on that day? Let me ask you a question. What does your response to this present darkness, what does your response to the trials and the battles that come into your life reveal about what God is doing in you? Do they reveal a person who is trusting in the Lord? Do they reveal someone who has unwavering commitment and devotion to God? Are they revealing someone who daily is becoming more like Christ or who is daily walking away from Christ? What do they reveal about you? And then what steps can you take to begin to prepare your life and heart to meet those challenges in the future, those faith-threatening challenges in the future? The first thing we can do is be aware, and the second thing we can do is walk adjacent with our God. David was a man after God's own heart. He followed God. He walked with God, and that is the key. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this message. And God, we know today that any victory that we have is because of you. It's because you give the victory. And God, any, any victory that we face, Lord Jesus, is because God is the one who goes to battle for us, and we praise you for that. And we praise you for being in our corner. We praise you for walking with us. We praise you for filling us with the Holy Spirit and giving us your word. And Father, today we want to commit ourselves anew. We want to commit ourselves anew to walking daily in trust and devotion to you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us the strength to stand. And as we put on this full armor of God, that we would stand firm in the faith against not only the trials that come our way in life, but also those seasons that seem unusually difficult and unusually difficult to bear, to carry. And God, we also thank you that someday this entire world, even though it's going to turn against you, we thank you that you have a remnant. We thank you that you have a people who are going to stand firm in the faith, who are going to walk with you faithfully. And God, we want to be prepared for that day. And all together we said, amen.